Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Power Passion Podcast. This is the Global Thread. The Global Thread is a new feature to the podcast, which will include the most hard-hitting, data-driven piece of news that I can find online from a news aggregator site like Reddit or Feedly or anywhere else. I'll take submissions. You can email me at masondeverosmithenterprises at gmail.com. This article focuses on Russian government bank depositing $500 million into Deutsche Bank, a subsidiary, as it lent to Trump. So this is focusing on Trump's financial dealings in the past around 2013. The good thing about forensic news is they are a limited liability company and as they suggest on their site, and I'll leave a link in the description below for everyone to check this site out, they aim to deliver long-form investigative journalism that actually matters and they primarily focus on national security, political and legal matters. The hard-hitting data that they focus on revealing is bank records, notes, documents, flight logs, corporate filings, pictures, etc. And the good part about this is within this article, if you take a look at it, all you need to do is click on the link in the description of the YouTube description or if you're listening on Spotify or whatever podcast you're listening to, click on the link. You'll be able to see for yourself. They pretty much release within this article a email, they include a bank statement, and they also include a flowchart, which is very visually appealing. And I must admit, for an independent news organization, it does very well. And you can also support their publications through Patreon. So there you go. There's a bit of free word of mouth marketing for the forensic news site. So onto their article. I'm going to do my standard reading, and then I'll give my uh, commentary on top of it. So... A Russian government-controlled bank deposited at least half a billion dollars into the American subsidiary bank of Deutsche Bank around the time that the bank lent to Trump his most scrutinized loans, according to exclusively obtained confidential bank records. Now, just to briefly summarize, and for those that already know this, then you can tune out for two seconds, a subsidiary is essentially an offshoot of a larger parent company. So, as Trump received loans from the subsidiary DBTCA, totaling over $300 million, Gazprom Bank sent $511 million in cash back to the DBTCA, which is obviously the bank in question, to be dispersed however the Russian bank directed. Now, it's important to realize here that what's this article is alluding to is shady financial dealings uh, with the Trump organization around the time and the fact that these Russian banks uh, have been sifting large amounts of capital and later on as the article will disclose it seems that it's right around the time in which Trump takes out a lot of his loans in fact if you if we can just like skip forward and you can probably just, if you, in your free time, take a look at the flowchart because the flowchart is very pertinent. Around the, from 1998 to 2008, Trump took out loans of around $640 million, and also between 2012 and 2016, at least $360 million. And this is a very interesting I suppose, take on things. And Trump is being scrutinized in the media right now and the, the impeachment trials are going well underway. Anyway, 
back to the article. So as you can see, as it continues on, I'll read verbatim. Additionally, DBTCA had deep liabilities to the Russian government in 2013, according to the government documents acquired by Forensic News. The documents show that the financial entities in Russia were owed nearly $3 billion by the subsidiary in October 2013. A confidential report from Dosha Bank Trust Company, DBTC for short, uh, DBTCA's holding company, that is, shows that in October 2013, DBTCA owned Russian government-controlled Gazprom Bank over 373 million euros, or approximately 511 million United States dollars. It was DBTCA's big, biggest single liability to a foreign government-controlled entity. And this is where I suppose this healthy dose of skepticism plays part in this independent forensic news site where they've really looked into the the details and tried to glean as much truth as, truth as possible. Now, this is not to say that this is gospel, but I must admit for an independent news site, they've done very well. I mean, you look at the way in which they've structured it, it's very simple. They are transparently providing exactly what they do as an organization. They've got a podcast, they've got videos, uh, and it's very much a crowdfunded kind of venture. So moving right along, I would like to read a statement of the spokesperson from uh, the Dosha Bank. As part of commercial banking needed by clients that operate internationally, it's the management of their cash in different currencies. Such cash Cash balances show as liabilities on balance sheet as the attributes of the ownership of that cash to the client. Such liabilities are cash deposits, not loans. So the, I suppose, PR to this from the banks are pretty much putting up the front and, I mean, you can take it whatever way you want. The point of this podcast and for their content is for the reader or the listener to inevitably think for themselves and draw upon their own conclusions and form their own opinions and beliefs of such matters. But they point to this cash management relationship. But it gets even a little bit more shady when it comes to around this time, around the 2013 period, where... The Gazprom Bank distributed the dollars on what purposes the Russia's, Russian government wanted to convert approximately 16 billion rubles into US dollars. So that's a lot of money there just being completely converted. And this revelation, as the article continues, of converting the billions of rubles into dollars is around the same time that the bank lent Donald Trump a lot of money when it comes to his his dealings. So it's very clear that as the article progresses that Trump is getting scrutinized left, right, and center. But to be honest with you, this is a very good example of a very factual, factually driven article. Now, I'm not going to lie. This isn't the best article to just read because it's not very entertaining. In fact, it's a clear-cut example of a lot of facts, data, and pertinent details almost boring the reader. 
even myself as a millennial, I kind of, I read through this and I tried to focus as much as possible. It happens to be the end of my day, but it just goes to show that all this hard-hitting independent journalism is appreciated on sites like Reddit where this one was posted and upvoted. But elsewhere in the mainstream press, uh, news headlines need to be very clickbaity and it's good to see that the impressions on this article are 2,000 Facebook shares and around 449 Reddit shares and in total it accumulates between Twitter, Facebook, Reddit, Pinterest and LinkedIn to about 3,000 shares. So it's good to see that there is some hard-hitting journalism still out there today. I'll have a read of a few of the pieces of evidence that they've conducted and they've really compiled this quite well. Whenever you're kind of conducting any kind of independent journalism, it's important to realize Aristotle's art of persuasion, ethos, pathos, logos. So pretty much you want ethos, which is your Pretty much, which is your credibility, your pathos, which is your emotion, your logos, which is your logic. And this is a really good way to structure any kind of uh, written work or any kind of speech that you're doing. And it's very clear to see that they are very high on their credibility rating. Because as noted, they take a section of the of a spreadsheet and they've highlighted Gazprom Bank and the euro payment amount in the negative of the 373 million in liabilities which are owing and it's it's just very it's very juicy to see however i must admit even these screenshots do i, I mean I, I don't want to take it as dogma anything that you read online you have to be speculative of it uh, however this is a um, largely speaking, a people that visit the site, they fund this site, so it's a pretty trustworthy source of information as far as the eye can see. And moving right along, so they've got a, a flow chart, and the flow chart pretty much goes like so. So they've got the Deutsche Bank in Frankfurt, Germany, and they've extended that out into two branches, the branch, branch of Deutsche Bank in the U.S., and the branch of Deutsche Bank in New York. And the New York branch essentially is left externally and alone, and the US one branch uh, is pretty much divided. And as you can read onwards in your own time, it's easy to see that they've really broken it down for you and structured it in a way where it's very easy to consume. However... I must admit the only criticism of myself as kind of like an independent member of the public, uh, I suppose is what you could call me, a member of the public, is that there needs to be, I suppose, a few more images. That's the only thing that I'd add to this. And I'm going to be listening to their podcast in the future because it's a very good take on it. So moving right along to some more articles online that we can see as we cover the global thread. It's very good. So Africa's richest man, Alkino Dan Gotze, commissions a greenhouse nursery in Nigeria to supply farmers with the best quality tomato seedlings, making Nigerians Nigeria self-sufficient in tomato productions. Tomato, tomato, potato, potato. As I look at what we've got here, so as the site loads, the anticipation is 
brewing as I'm apparently looking at this. So, Africa Happens is the article that has been published. So, they're the pretty much the site. And it's always good when you're looking at all this to look at the About section. So, their About section is Africa Happens' mission is to report on positive developments on ongoing African continent. So there you go. It's a very clear, it's a one-sided, very positive spin on what's happening in an African spin of things. So, as the article reads, Dangote Tomatoes Processing Limited, a subsidiary of Dangote Farms, has unveiled an $8 million greenhouse nursery in Kanto, in Kano to supply the best quality tomato seedlings to Nigerian farmers. The nursery uses pat moose planting technology, the first of its kind in Nigeria. It has the capacity to produce 350 million tonnes of hybrid tomato seedlings per season, enabling the planting of 12,000 hectares of a tomato farm. The pat moose process takes three weeks before proceeding to the next stage and reducing the whole process and growing tomatoes in just three months so this is brilliant and the only thing that i'm kind of thinking to myself is uh, i suppose when you know if you've ever gone to a red rooster store and wondered what they're pumping into chickens whether that's going to produce a more growth hormone who knows what's happening with these uh, seedlings and these hybrid tomato seedlings but i don't want to spin any kind of conjecture or anything there it's very good to see that there is some positive developments in agriculture in Nigeria. I'll read along. So the setting up of this nursery means that the country is now on the trajectory of being self-sufficient in tomato production, as well as exporting the surplus to the rest of the continent. Currently, Nigeria consumes 2.3 million tonnes of tomatoes annually. With this technology, it has the capacity to more than triple tomato production, enabling the exportation to countries in the sub-region. Furthermore, this nursery will produce the highest quality tomato seedling available, meaning that farmers can grow the highest yield tomatoes. Currently, yields produced by Nigerian farmers are less than the global standard. As a result, farmers may be able to earn more income by selling higher volumes of harvest each season. This is a positive development, and I'm all for it. However, I must admit on face value of this article, there isn't a lot of data to back it up. It is clearly just a positive spin. But as their about section suggests, it's exactly what it is. It is what it is. And I mean, they've done a good job here. So let's not trash it entirely. So currently Nigeria led by President Mahamu, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Mohamedou Buhari is undergoing an agricultural revolution. The government has banned the importation of rice and chicken into the country, and the rice poultry industry of the country had virtually collapsed due to the smuggling of pro products through the country's poorest borders. Moreover, the president took an extra step of closing its borders with neighbouring countries to prevent an influx of smuggled products into the countries. In the, into the country. So it's very clear to see here, my libertarian soul comes out here when I see uh, a large amount of state 
power really controlling industry and it's clear to see that this isn't very healthy uh, then again, I'm just looking at a computer screen and reading a news article. I, having not visited Nigeria myself, I can't really say. And moving right along, it's very easy to see that they've concluded with a very robust statement, and this is the only kind of bit of, uh, I suppose, data. However, it is very vague. So I'll read the concluding paragraph of this article. Nigeria is on a trajectory to becoming a self-sufficient rice tomatoes and poultry production country or nation i'm pretty sure they should have added there this means that millions of jobs will be created for her citizens the african continent imports 40 billion dollars of food annually despite having 65 percent of the world's arable land the public private model ongoing in nigeria could be adopted by other african countries to attain self-sufficiency in food production now, this is obviously a positive piece of news. However, it's not a very objective standpoint. And we need to remain present of this every time that we're reading any kind of piece of news online. So as I move onwards, it's important to, to just, I suppose, take some time away from the news also, because I find personally that if I read too much news and become too global with my perspective, that I'm not really focusing on things that influence myself or my life, or more importantly, my family, my friends and my loved ones, and people that actually matter to me. And that's more important because you can build your circle of competency, grow and develop, and through entrepreneurship or just a nine-to-five, contribute towards, uh, I suppose, helping out in a philanthropic way to the country like Nigeria in the future. So I'll focus on this next one. Since the outbreak of new viruses rises to 440 in China with nine dead. This is obviously a tragic take here. So let's go have a look at it. So this is a published by AP News. And by the way, I'm going to leave all the links to all the articles that I've used uh, in the description section. So Chinese health authorities urge people in the city of Wuhan to avoid crowds and public gatherings after warning a new viral illness that has infected more than 400 people and killed at least nine could spread further. The appeal came as the World Health Organization covered a group of independent experts to advise whether the outbreak should be declared a global emergency. The number of new cases has risen sharply in China the center of the outbreak, where 440 confirmed cases as of midnight Tuesday, 13 jurisdictions, said Li Bin, Deputy Director of National Health Commission. Nine people have died, all in Hubei province, since the outbreak emerged in this province capital of Wuhan late last month. It's very clear to see this is not a good thing at all. And the health and safety standards in China could prominently, I suppose, improve. I've been to Beijing twice, and I must admit, um, I don't think the pollution is that much of a concern as long as you're wearing like a facial mask when the smog is really heavy. But it is very important to practice a lot of health and hygiene, depending on what areas of China that you go to. And in fact, I do remember a 
a friend of mine did have troubles uh, with his health over the stretch, but I won't get into that. That's a private thing that I don't think I'll discuss on this podcast. There has already been a human-to-human transmission and infection of medical workers. Lee said that at a news conference with experts, the evidence shown that the disease has been transmitted through the respiratory tract and there is possible there's a possibility of a viral mutation. This illness comes as a newly identified type of corona antivirus. And no, this is not a alcohol-infused virus. This is a, I think I'm mispronouncing it, but it's coronavirus, a family of viruses that can cause a common cold as well as serious illnesses such as SARS outbreak that spread from China and more than a dozen countries in from 2002 to 2003 and killed about 800 people. Some experts draw parallels between the new coronavirus and Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome and another coronavirus that does not simply spread very easily around humans and is thought to be carried by camels. But the WHO Asia's office tweeted this week that this this is what the world has come to. That an organization is tweeting a, a PR statement now, but I suppose whatever gets more traction online. There may be now sustained human-to-human transmission, which raises the possibility that the epidemic is spreading more easily, and there may no longer be required there may long, no longer require an animal source to spark infections, as officials initially reported. Now again, this article is Good reporting, but at the same time, for a medical outbreak, there's a lack of data, there's lack of figures, and it kind of lacks a lot of credibility because a lot of it's just statements from people that are involved. However, I must admit, when it comes to reporting on any kind of Chinese incident, I am well aware of the fact that the Chinese government and various other people would like to keep certain things under wraps because that's the way they are and, and that's perfectly fine. That's the way they want to govern their, their country. Authorities in Thailand on Wednesday confirmed that four cases and a Thai national and three Chinese visitors, Japan, South Korea and the United States and Taiwan have all reported one case each. All of the illnesses were people from Wuhan who recently travelled there. And apparently, according to the Thai public health minister, the situation is under control there. So it's a very tragic incident. And this is something that I suppose everyone can kind of reflect on. If you're living in, in conditions where you've got clothing, water, shelter, and you don't have to deal with any of this kind of virus that's spreading, be grateful for what you have. And the next time you complain about your smartphone breaking down, just think to yourself, okay, at least I don't have to deal with this kind of stuff. And my heart goes out to these people that are suffering because I've obviously been to China twice. Anyway, so I'll conclude on that note. So this has been the Power Passion Podcast Global Thread, and this is my dive into around three articles online. I like to start with a very well-structured article full of data facts and figures, and then I like to obviously work my way and surf around online and add my take on it. However, by all means, don't take my outspoken, opinionated voice as dogma. By all means, think for yourself. I encourage you to challenge me on my positions on certain things that I've said within this podcast, certain things that I've said in the past, 
and it's all well for civil dialogue and conversation moving forward. Uh, we should remove the political labels, uh, the titles, the classes, because at the end of the day, it's just two humans communicating me from my podcast to your ears. And thank you very much for listening to the Power Passion Podcast. It's good afternoon, good evening, and good night, wherever in the world that you may be listening to your podcast. Take care.